0: Hi, I'm Brett Stafford and this is RegWatch by RegulatorWatch.com. It's week six of the COVID-19 shutdown and across the board, vaping is taking a beating. Denied in most areas the essential service designation, vape shops have had to move to curbside transactions, online only sales, or close the doors entirely. Many vapers have lost access to essential products and governments just don't seem to care. In Quebec, the challenge to vaping is even starker as the provincial government escalates its war on vaping to a point where a complete ban is not only possible, but probable. Here's the picture. With COVID lockdowns, the economy shut down, and public health officers from the provincial chiefs right down to the lowly foot soldier banging away at vaping with some of the most disingenuous comments we've seen from public health to date, the question now is, after all these years, could COVID-19 be the final nail in the coffin for vaping? Joining us today to talk about these issues and to provide a province-by-province and federal update is the Canadian Vaping Association's Executive Director and Lead Advocate, Daryl Tempest. Daryl, thanks for coming back on RegWatch.
1: Thank you so much for having me.
0: Now, the impact of COVID-19 has certainly been severe. What's the CVA's assessment in terms of the damage COVID-19 is doing?
1: Well, certainly to the industry as a business, it has really hurt a lot of the retailers, specifically in provinces such as uh, Ontario and Quebec, um, uh, where we've seen where um, uh, access is been a problem for many of the consumers who rely on us for their, uh, their, need, their uh, needs for vaping products.
0: And now talk a little bit about the essential service thing. I want to introduce that issue, and then we'll get back to it when we do our province by province blow but the essential services issue is really the big battle that was fought, correct?
1: That is correct. So uh, if you look at what essential services are, are those are what are for best health outcomes for uh, Canadians. So access to foods, uh, access to medicines, and also to be able to deal with things like mental health and addiction.
0: And if uh, if, if vaping had been considered an essential service in most of the provinces, that would have secured at least access to the product, correct?
1: It would, and it would also show that the conversation uh, that we've been trying to have with government for the past four years would have started to take root, where that uh, vaping is an important answer for the millions of Canadians that are addicted to combustible tobacco, and especially those of our, in our population of customers uh, who have, uh, pulmonary lung illnesses, uh, long-term impacts of smoking cancer. Uh, if you look at what the target of where COVID-19 has the worst results is on so many of the customers that have chosen vaping to reduce their harm.
0: Now, let me ask you this. Um, Is it, a, is it a disrespect? I mean, are, are, are governments denying dignity, so to speak? Now, of course, I don't believe that you know, governments can bestow dignity on people, but if we want to follow along that lines, um, I mean, it's pretty, I mean, it, what is the opposite of dignity? I don't even know. I mean, aren't they treating vapors in provinces where it's not you know, designated as an essential services? Aren't they denying them something that really is denying dignity?
1: It's denying access to a product where people have chosen their own outcome for their health and is removing it from them. And that can only be based on stigmas. It's the stigma of smoking. So if you see a lot of the releases and you see a lot of the verbiage that's used against us in, uh, in the media and in the, um, uh, within the halls of government, it is that vaping is smoking
0: elaborate on that <laughs> you're a little bit more of the, on that please
1: absolutely so if you look at what uh and as we've tried to move this conversation forward is that um the cdc comes out with a statement that says oh you could be at more risk if you vape for COVID 19. well if you've been smoking for 20 years chances are you have a pul- pulmonary lung illness and you're more at risk anyways it has nothing to do with uh, with vaping. Then the CDC comes out again and says, "You know what? There is no evidence. Don't worry about it. We were wrong." Nobody covers that part of it. The CDC continues to put out wrong information, take it back a month later, but every media and every government official that wants to take a swing at vaping continues to use it, whether the CDC has retracted it or not.
0: And didn't we that, and we saw that exact same thing with regard to e So. Once it was out there, you can't get it back. It's, it is just sticks on to vaping and no matter what, FDA can come out and say that, you know, it was THC carts and so forth, but mainstream media, they don't care if that's just the way it is forever.
1: And it's driving policy. And if you look at as you know, Brent, I've been around the political world quite a long time, with over 20 years of experience. And one of the things that I always look for in leaders is that not everyone can make the same decision that 100,000 people would. What we should do is elect someone that has the information that can make the right decisions and have it reflect a proper public, or public policy. What we're seeing here is that if you look at vaping from a publicly po- or public policy point of view, not from a rights point of view or anything else, uh, which are all valid, but simply from a public policy point of view, is that Quitting uh, cold turkey is only 3 to 7% effective. NRTs have been around for years, decades, with uh, success percentages at 10% or under. The most pessimistic success rate for vaping is 18%. So when you talk about public policy, you first reduce health or positive health outcomes. Therefore, if you have product, that is at least twice as effective that's been around for 10 years than a product that's been around for four decades and you say, don't use this, go ahead, go ahead and use the thing that's failed so many times over and over and over again. How is that reflective of uh, harm reduction in public policy from our public health groups that we expect so much more from?
0: It seems that they just are not at all accepting the argument that vaping is a tool for harm reduction. It seems that harm reduction that argument has been completely discredited in their mind if it ever was something that they thought was appropriate to apply to tobacco
1: all we hear from those who want to talk about vaping but don't support it is some evidence is pointed to the research and then when you push to ask for clarification right specifically through the government channels what is the, the data set, what is the litmus test that you're using to create public policy for something that will impact millions of Canadians? And that, that public policy, and when it comes down to harm reduction, what we're talking about here is nicotine addiction. It's nicotine addiction. So what is the theory about why that alcohol stores need to remain open? Because it's one of the addictions that if you go through withdrawals can kill you. It's good for public health comes to make sure that those struggling with addictions aren't forced to put their health at risk, their mental health at risk and everything that can come with that. Yet with cannabis, which has only been around for, uh, recreationally for four years, it is now considered an essential service by every province. Yet vaping isn't, but the access to combustible tobacco has. So from a, publicly, from a public policy point of view, how is this okay? How is it okay to, uh, uh, to limit the access and actually make people go into the convenience stores or, uh, or gas stations? And let's not even talk about the fact that, uh, that they could buy cigarettes there. Let's just talk about the fact that our consumer base is more at risk because of their choices through their life, especially the older ones or weight in the, the, uh, the, the percentages that are put them at risk. And then we're saying, we're gonna force you to go to a convenience store because Canada Post will not uh, do age verified shipping at people's homes. They're making them go into the depots, they're making them go into the convenience stores for um, really high nicotine products with, with no education, uh, with products that don't actually uh, represent the products that they already have in their homes, specifically in places like, uh, like Quebec.
0: So let me ask you then, let's go through on, on the essential services side, and we'll come back to the provinces later with regard to some of the general issues around the regulations and so forth. Let's just talk essential services. So as, you, as we work our way from the Maritimes, what's the status of essential services in the Maritimes in those provinces?
1: So... Uh, The only province to grant essential service status to vaping products is the government of Alberta, which is very interesting because the government of Alberta has no regulation as it relates to vaping products. So the last province to develop a strategy that they feel is right for distribution for vape products in their province, vape shops essential. So the infrastructure that's set up to support provinces like B.C., like Ontario, and, uh, and we'll talk about the Maritimes, is that uh, they were all ignored. Now, the positive in the Maritimes is curbside delivery is available for all. In Nova Scotia, as you know, uh, we continue to fight there for the future of flavors. But right now, flavors, they're illegal. But they're still at least being able to pick up these products in, a, in an environment where they can go through what is a contactless service model for people to be able to order their products, pick them up without having to go into Canada Post or uh, Peer Leader or any of these depots or into a convenience store.
0: And let me ask you this uh, for a second now, understanding that, that there is some play a little bit in Ontario with regards to the two different sections that, you know, vaping shops may fit into, which seems to be, allowing some operationalization there with regard to being open but then it's there's also seems to be a patchwork of enforcement on that in ontario what can you tell us about that
1: uh ontario has been um has been extremely challenging specifically for the entrepreneurs uh that support the system so there's over 400 vape shops in ontario that represent over 2,000 employees that serve their clients especially those in more rural and remote, remote areas So um, we had an incident uh, in uh, in the Hamilton area, for example, where one vape shop was stormed by four police officers wearing bulletproof vests for someone that was doing curbside delivery, which means a contactless delivery model, so no interaction between the employees and between the consumers physically. Fourteen kilometers down the road, in the same city, under the same public health unit, under the same law law enforcement units was given a letter to say, you're fine. You're doing curbside. Keep doing what you're doing. That's how disjointed that it is where we have some shops that are open in Ontario and public health at the local level is saying they're fine. When the province of Ontario has made it clear to us that they expect everybody to be closed and only online sales available for consumers. So, it's a. Uh, it's not just a, pat- work, a patchwork of policies from from coast to coast. It's a patchwork with policies in some of the provinces.
0: That sounds like uh, quite a bit of an overreaction uh, to the issue. Um, and police should be ashamed of themselves, actually. In fact, for that, but I'm allowed to say that you aren't. Let me ask you this: There was quite a bit of internal debate within inside the vaping community with regard to how far to go as, you know, the lockdown was first coming down, right? So you think back there four or five weeks and it was really starting to come down and the efforts that some shops were making um, to, you know, create the contactless uh, transactions, some were going very far, some maybe not far enough in, in the opinion of some other shop owners and vapors in the country. It kind of broke out into a bit of a squabble um, on Facebook. Talk to us about that.
1: I think what, uh, what we're facing now is not only people having uncertain time for their businesses, for their own families, um, but we're looking in uh, a province of Quebec, for example, where someone told me that a 70-year-old lady can't get a hold of her products and continues to call the owner because she has the owner's phone and he cannot serve her. So in our interaction with government, we continue to correspond back and forth they expect leadership from us as a, as a responsible stakeholder. And that's something where we have made a lot of difference. I think even since when you and I first sat down, Brent, at uh, CVE in Toronto four years ago, it seems like we've come so far since that first talk, but we still haven't come nearly far enough that we'd expect with all the developing regulations and the, the relationships that have been built with government now across the country, when it used to really be Quebec, Ontario, in, in Ottawa because much of the regulation hadn't moved. So as a responsible stakeholder, we said, here's a system that we can put in place to protect our consumers, to protect our employees. Many vape shop owners saw this as, a, uh, as an important issue, not only to their customers or to the province, but also to their own employees, making sure that they were safe. So during that time, we knew everything was shutting down. And we said, here's a way that we can serve because we'd already gotten advance notice from Canada Post to say, we're not doing um, contact anymore or, or age verification at the doors. You have to come in. And that's when vape shops started to talk to me about do you know how many of my customers have COPD? They shouldn't be going into any of these places. And that was the argument that was most salient because this isn't about an internal function of, I think this vape shop is good or this vape shop is bad was this is our responsibility to have a protocol in place and to give guidance on the best uh, possible mode to ensure that your customers are safe, your employees are safe and you're safe.
0: Yeah. And that is where the battle, um, is fought because they're not recognizing that they they seem to have their fingers in the ears when it comes to any argument that's made. You know, vapors have been making a big argument for many years now that vaping saves lives. Right? That's over and over and over again. Vaping saves lives, and there's data, you know, to show that. Maybe it's anecdotal, but there is research that's starting to prove that it's effective as a smoking cessation. Um, and clearly, you know, there's four hundred eighty thousand. I use the U.S. number. Four hundred eighty thousand americans die every single year you know of smoking and you throw that up at public health and you hope to like you know shake some sense into them at least somehow um that there is relative risk is an issue here and i'm just wondering i mean do you think that there's hope of getting that through or or should we be moving on
1: absolutely we should not be moving on what i would the best outcome is that um Uh, Public health in many ways should be ashamed. They should be ashamed at the fact that they're not looking at some of the simple data points that should help drive this conversation. We don't think that, hey, we need to be libertarian, government, get out of our way, we'll do whatever we want. That's not part of being, uh, or that's not um, a responsible way to be part of a complex society. But the policy is treating this like it's not a complex issue. And it is a complex issue. Right? With absolutely no indication to why, Nova Scotia decided they were going to ban flavors because that was what was going to drive down youth uptake in their province. With absolutely no support or any care, not understanding, any care about the unintended consequences of those decisions. And that's what's driving a lot of these policy decisions where it's it's a matter of not even being concerned with the unintended consequences and that the biggest battle that we still have to fight is with the public because a, a large portion of this society still believes that our products kill people. So if you look at what happened from a valley to now, that in September really hurt us when the true pandemic came because if treated smoking like we do this pandemic and we started every day on the cbc and ctv and the global and mail and the toronto star and name your media outlet with the names of the hundred people that died yesterday it should be national news it should be absolutely talked about from public health and doctors and and summits i mean i don't i don't know about you brent but we had a national summit because we lost an Olympic game once because Wayne Gretzky was in it, but we can't have a national summit on hundred people dying a day. And they're tracking the numbers of COVID-19 so carefully. Is it that we become so numb to the cost and impacts of smoking that we don't care? Hmm. Is that where it is? Well, I think,
0: I think that you have to look at results first in issues like this and then work your way back to why. Because it's the only logical way to do it. Because to work from the why, it's pretty hard to get to the result. So if you look at the results, I really do think that they don't care. They they simply shrug their shoulders and they do not care because they are blinded by ideology. It's the only thing that I can think of. And let me make this point too is that we're seeing that operating uh in with the COVID uh hysteria. And you have the point trying to be made by so many people that our rights are being taken. Of course, we're locked down, it's martial law. Businesses are going under. You're talking trillions of dollars in, in benefits, you know, going out the door, which is all borrowed money from our children. And we're looking at tens of millions of people out of work. And public health knows, knows that economic devastation can have massive impact on public health. It's called the social determinants of public health, of health. It's a whole huge part of their discipline. So they're actually ignoring a whole huge, massive section of their discipline in order to, you know, advance whatever this particular ideology is that's pushing them in this totalitarian takeover of Western civilization. And they simply shrug their shoulders and say, so what? They, they are impervious to the economic damage argument that comes with the COVID reaction. And so I see those as being exactly the same responses.
1: I don't disagree with with, uh, everything that you're saying. I think that the the horror is, you asked me, are we losing the fight? And I don't believe so because of the regulation that we've received uh, pretty much throughout uh, the country up to this point. What I would say is there is a lot of dangers. Quebec is a danger. right? We win a constitutional challenge based almost exclusively on... Uh, being able to communicate risk factors for, uh, uh, for vapors, and here we are two years later, almost three years later, without the relative risk statements from Health Canada. We sit here because the media drove a story and ripped apart one of our greatest opportunities as a nation to address our nation's largest killer. So It starts with three things in my mind. The first is one of the biggest challenges that we've got is trying to get consumers to contact their public officials. And I'm not talking about calling and screaming and saying, taking away my rights and everything else, but taking the moment to educate your MP, your MLA, your MPP, your MNA, Whoever represents you and make sure that they know because they only hear from the people who say we kill people because it's from a headline. And even if you look at the portion that comes from the CDC about, um, about that vaping doesn't have a proven impact on your exposed risk to COVID-19, no one's going to call their member and tell them, hey, set the record straight. One of the best things that could happen in BC, because, or in Alberta, is the chief medical officer there is responsible to the elected officials who haven't corrected the record. Right. Vaping is not smoking, and it doesn't put your risk factor higher. Being a smoker for 20 years certainly did.
0: Let's uh, go to that because this was some news that the uh, Alberta chief medical officer Uh, whose name is Dr. Dina Hinshaw, Uh, on Friday, in fact, actually. Now, we don't have the sound, but we do have um, the article. Let me just read through just a little bit of this. Top doctor advises smokers and vapors to quit or cut back amid pandemic. So this is Friday, April 17th. And it's a youth-led initiative story here, which we know how much we love that because youth know everything, and we must listen to youth. Quote, smoking increases the risk of poor outcomes from any lung infection, and this virus mainly affects the lungs. Said Alberta's chief medical officer of health is advising smokers and vapors to quit, or at least cut back as the COVID-19 pandemic continues to unfold. Quote, COVID-19 is a respiratory virus. Smoking and e-cigarettes can expose the lungs to toxic chemicals. It is not yet clear whether these exposures increase the risk of catching COVID-19 However, they do increase the risk of severe illness for those who get infected. Inshaw says there is growing evidence to suggest quitting smoking or vaping, even temporarily, can have positive outcomes in the prevention and treatment of COVID-19. Quote, when you are vaping or smoke when you are smoking or vaping, you are also touching your mouth and lips. This can make it easier to catch the virus from your hands. Given all these factors, I strongly recommend that anyone who smokes or vapes takes steps to quit or cut down during this pandemic. So let's just stop there for a second. I mean, what do you make of that, Daryl? Because we have what's usually is, again, like you had said, you know, a tiny little bit of, you know, probably maybes and coulds and then discussions, the rest, it's just like all blatantly, you know, vaping's bad. And of course,
1: that's how addiction works. How do you mean? So where's the rest of that state? Oh, well, then you should also quit drinking. You should also uh, quit other things that people are addicted to, like coffee and tea, uh, don't touch your face at all. If, it's, if it was as simple as just quitting smoking, people would have done it. There's a reason that these products have been uh, so popular with smokers. It's because quitting smoking isn't easy. That's not an option. So to simply treat addiction as a health professional, like it's, you know what? You should quit smoking and you should quit vaping.
0: Well, and, and quite rightly so, the fact of the matter is, is that um, diabetes and heart disease uh, are huge factors in COVID deaths for sure. And is she you know, requiring people to stop eating Big Macs, requiring people to stop eating sugar, requiring all the other things that you require to people to stop doing in order to help you know, mitigate the risk of COVID death.
1: And that's when we talk about complex problems. And we'll, if we're gonna actually come up with solutions here that serve health outcomes, it's not any one person or one group that has all the answers, is where is the meaningful dialogue with public health to be able to have these discussions? We advocate, We write, we send letters, we send information, we get calls, but we talk a lot about distribution regulation and nothing about the core element of why, after COP7, Health uh, Canada took the stance to allow vaping in Canada to remain. They didn't do it because we thought we're addicting the next generation uh, to nicotine, the decision, the brave decision to stand against the World Health Organization and bring regulation in this country is because we all saw value in what a far less harmful alternative means.
0: So we know that the World Health Organization has come under an intense scrutiny, at least by President Trump and those of us out there that know what the WHO has done with regard to vaping. I mean, they have just been, I mean, slanderous. They even tried to use vaping in the early stages of coronavirus leaking out into the West. Uh, they, you know, came out with this huge diatribe about vaping just out of the blue. And it was just filled with every old, you know, every old attack that could possibly be all leveled at vaping. And why the, you know, World Health Organization did that in February can only be a, some kind of move to, you know, they were grasping for, for things to talk about, I would assume, outside of coronavirus so we're, we're in a position right now where for years, vapors have been under the boot of the WHO. And as you said, thank goodness, the Canadian government said, we're going to find our own way on this. Thank you very much. So, you know, could vapors be doing something to help support kind of the annexation or, you know, the exiting of the WHO, like how to further discredit them to make sure that it's not just coronavirus uh, that's discrediting the WHO, that we can, you know, apply the same kind of paint to them uh, when it comes to vaping?
1: I think the WHO is, uh, again, it's a complex issue, so it's not a, a cop-out on this one, is it uh, global sharing of information should be their mandate. It's not, uh, they, they've done so much when it comes to gender driving that it's the government of Canada that needs to hold them accountable. I think where I would pivot the conversation is what vapers can do to support the industry here in Canada. And one of the most important things they can do is ask their members of provincial parliament and their federal members, where's our data? Where's our studies? How are we tracking this? Right? One of the weaknesses, Brent, and you and I talked about this, is that Nova Scotia mostly moved on a youth uptake study that they did um, and it was uh, put together by the uh, Cancer Society uh, to, to help them. So this study, first was an opt-in study. So it uh, completely, uh, this is labeled as a blind study. It paid people $10 a head to do the study. And the third part is that study in Nova Scotia couldn't be replicated by any other study done around the globe. So is this the way that we are going to allow our governments to track data. Because remember, it was all about the youth. Right up until COVID, I was having co- or, uh, interviews and conversations with, with government and media leading up into this, and it was still all about the youth. So we're creating policies, and we're we're telling the answer before we even ask what the questions were. And the questions should be starting with, what are the outcomes that we want? And the outcomes that we want is that for people to understand their relative risk, for us to be able to measure the policies we put in place to know if they're effective or not, and to make sure you have broad based conversations for each other to learn from one another and build stronger policies and networks that provide positive outcomes for public health. Let me not ask is it a
0: back. Yeah, let me ask you let me ask you this, just to make sure we clarify because Is it correct, under what you know, and of course, you know, you lead Canadian Vaping Association. uh, Is there actually research going on right now in Canada that's measuring youth use of vaping?
1: Not that I know of. And I've asked the question many times.
0: Now, that seems seems astonishing that they go through all of this whole process, um, and then they're not trying to measure the outcome. So. If, you know, they've asked the vaping industry to to really take leadership, to do what they can, to do a lot of things, I mean, to really, really agonize, to look deep in the soul of the vapor, you know, challenge, are we addicting kids? That's the question, you know, are we doing this and what can we do to stop this and how do we do that in a way that allows us to still serve our customers and to keep our businesses operating and then the government or universities are not jumping right now, you know, to be measuring the effect of all these mitigation efforts that the industry has taken to help mitigate youth use. And if they aren't, that's criminal.
1: It is, and to verify how we got here in the first place. So if, if we do one study on youth uptake per province, that's not enough. We should do five, 10 blind studies, Also, if you look at the incredible work by uh, Public Health England, this is what I get. We only track data and look at data from Canadian research on the Canadian market. And we will look at other data from other uh, jurisdictions, but we're really focused on the data here, which to me is funny because I hear a ton about the CDC and the FDA in terms of the numbers that they put out uh, from, from the U.S. market, as opposed to... Where are the investments being made here by the government, which would have the credibility by working with the institutions? Industry can't do it. It will have no credibility for us. And the other thing is we don't have the size or scale to, uh, to initiate it anyways. So if the, if the industry was to put out uh, a, a drop on, uh, on youth uptake by 90%, who'd believe it? So the onus is, again, we have to get used to talking to our government officials and not screaming at them and yelling at them. I know that there's some concern when I, when I ask consumers and I ask stores to ask their consumers to engage with their local politicians. It's because they're not hearing any of this. What they do hear is what the stories that they see in their newspaper every day, which has a, a very heavy bias against, uh, against vaping.
0: And, and to that I'll to that do point, one
1: better, uh, sure. Brent.
0: Yeah, My I was issue, Sorry, sorry. Go ahead. Go when ahead.
1: I had called. called yeah, I called for vape shops to be uh, essential services, and this is the third time this happened to me in the last. That the person who interviewed me on the radio opened up with, "I'm biased against your product, and don't think it belongs in Canada." Now let's go with the interview.
0: That's, that's incredible. And then you had also yeah. mentioned uh, to me earlier that you had a very troubling conversation with a politician in B.C.
1: Yeah, there is a, a, a politician in B.C. who um, does a lot of work around addiction services. So having this opportunity to, to meet with this uh, MLA, I asked him, when it comes to adult smokers, how do you envision your policy over the next five to 10 years, to have a, a substantive in, uh, decrease in smoking rates. That's good for government. It's good for society. It's good for the uh, uh, for the healthcare budget. And their answer to me was, my only concern when it comes to vaping is where am I going to put all the addiction centers for all of these kids that are addicted to vaping?
0: That is unbelievable. That
1: was the conversation. Now, what was very positive about and what we see in bc is that the health minister took leadership and had originally thought about going down the pathway of a flavor ban and said no i can make a policy that will allow for harm reduction products and they've worked very very hard with understanding the industry the products in the industry they actually really well represented um what we're looking for and a provincial partner when it comes to distribution. Um, but, you know, I had the same conversation. A member told me that uh, they called an influential um, a member of the National Assembly. Uh, this was a consumer that called and said they were concerned because they couldn't get their products. And the politician responded back, go back to smoking, it's the same, it's the same just as bad for you. And vape retailers might not make it anyways.
0: Un- it's unbelievable. Um, so in BC, what's the status of the regulations here? Because that was you know, supposed to have been implemented to some degree already, or I think in April. And we're talking about there's a, nic- there's a nicotine cap. There's also a really crazy 10 mil bottle cap, which would just knock out the industry. I mean, that's just insane. Living in BC right now, I mean, I don't know. That's, that would be really bad.
1: I so- think you're going to see a lot of changes when it comes to the 10 point plan. Right, and that's where I've given them a ton of credit in terms of understanding why, and looking at the data and the bottles and how they came up with their ten-point plan and how those markets are different than the Canadian market. So to me, that shows a lot of foresight and uh, and leadership. Uh, I wish more politicians would say, you know, what I thought this way, I got better information, and now I think this way. That's a pretty brave step step to take, especially when you got media calling you out and you got opposition calling you out. Um, These are high-pressure jobs, so for them to take the leadership on on a file that's not very popular across this country um, and show that sort of leadership, I I, I value that a great deal, and and I thank them for that. Um, They were supposed to have the legislation ready for April, and they have gone silent. So if you look at the three indicators that we have right now, Ontario has pushed off their changes in regulation until July, um, now, depending on how long this crisis goes for and the industry shut down, maybe they extend that by another month. Um, and uh, federally, they were supposed to come up with their uh, regulatory updates for what they wanted to uh, to see happen here in 2020. That was supposed to be done in April. They've now let us know that that won't be until June, which all makes sense. Uh, everything's been shut down for two months, so we can expect uh, an extension. So, uh, BC hasn't announced that my expectation is that they'll follow suit uh, close to the same.
0: So if I was to, if we do shotgun answers here with BC, you know, guess, but, you know, obviously educated guess and a better guess than anybody else in the pro- in the country can make, what are we going to see in BC?
1: I think you're going to see, um, uh, you're definitely going to see flavors only in vape shops. I think you're going to see a um, uh, 20 milligram cap I think that that's something that government is looking at seriously. Even at a federal level, they did put out an attention paper. Um, it's the one data point, and I think a couple of interviews back, we talked about this one at length, Brent, um, in terms of we can't just take pieces of what we like from the UK. We have to pull it from its entirety. Uh, and certainly, the 20 uh, Nick is something that I hear a lot in terms of when they compare. Um, and so, um, you know, you kind of summarize that. I think the the biggest opportunity that we're gonna have um, as they go through with BC is to make sure that the products align with the supply chain. So one of the interesting things of uh, COVID-19 that I had as a phenomenal experience was governments across the country reaching out and asking us how our supply chain worked and asking how we would be able to keep the products in the hands of consumers government proactively, in many provinces, called us and asked us, are we going to be able to uh, get these products that uh, that we need? So it just shows you that for as many of the negatives and and the real issues and fights that we have to fight every day, so many positives have come, um, where uh, governments are looking at our proposals, they saw that we take action, and they see us as an honest uh, stakeholder, and they're asking good questions. Like, how do we make sure that people who are vaping don't return to smoking?
0: Well, that's definitely reassuring. Now, Alberta, there's no regulations on the table. A snapshot answer in Alberta would be?
1: Really encouraged by the fact that they put them on the essential services list. That showed leadership. Uh, Should bode well for future regulation. But then, it's the the only... uh, 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 were the uh, oh, forgive me, uh, the chief medical officer that came out and said that uh, vaping and smoking are essentially the same thing,
0: and that's a disaster. And that's recent; that's Friday, so that's not not yeah. so good at all. Um, what's what's going on in Saskatchewan?
1: So Saskatchewan and Manitoba are at curbside. Uh, small change in Manitoba; they've started to, uh, as of today, uh, let one customer back into the store. So you'll see because they're COVID nineteen. Um, uh numbers are quite low as comparison to Ontario and Quebec where there's a, where there's a ton of concern um, uh, they allowed for curbside right away and you can already see some normalcy coming back into the industry so that would give you um, Manitoba and Alberta and Saskatchewan they're still on um, uh, they're still on curbside um, curbside has actually worked out well I've heard um, some great information uh, one of the Big drivers. we'll, we'll, we'll get to uh, we'll get to Quebec in a moment, but it's a good comparison to what's happening in the other ones when we get to Quebec.
0: And then, well, I mean, uh, well, that you already handled Manitoba. But did I hear something that there was actually some regulatory gloom that was coming down the way there in Manitoba, or is that do I not have that right?
1: No, we met with the Minister of uh, Manitoba right before the uh, uh, right before the COVID shutdown. Uh, there really researching the impacts of, of vaping on, uh, on smoking was one of the things that we heard, which should bode well for future regulation there. Of course, they're concerned about youth uptake, um, but this industry is a regulator's dream. And why I say that is because there's only about 1200 vape shops across this country. It is so easy to regulate them properly, to inspect them properly and have a partner And a partner that needs to apply to open up their shops. It is a far more um, accessible group for governments of these sizes, as opposed to 10,000 convenience shops, for example, or gas stations. That's much harder for them to to regulate and inspect. So, um, from a policy point of view, we need product vape shops not only for the education that they provide and the value of service they provide and the breadth of products to make sure that people are successful. And that's the one thing that the the services and the product breadth allow for is success rates. And again, we started the show with public health outcomes, positive public health outcomes. So if we have these sort of value propositions that provide twice as effective public health outcomes the reduction of the dangers of combustible tobacco that's where the policy should drive so that's what we look for
0: and that's obviously and uh, you know that i'm a big fan of starting with outcomes and actually working your way back that's you know clearly that's common sense world uh there so let's talk about ontario and then we'll hit quebec so where is ontario the snapshot question is you know where's vaping standing in ontario what? How bleak is it going to coming down? Is there going to be a vaping ban? I mean, what do we know? What can you give? Can you give hope to anybody in Ontario?
1: Well, the regulations in Ontario are still is uh, flavors in product vape shops, um, high nic products only in product vape shops, and then um, and then the nicotine cap uh, twenty and over in product vape shops. It's the short term that we're concerned about. Because online only, there's so many retailers out there who can't service their clients. Right? So it's the same story that you're hearing about people who are now starting to run out of supply. They didn't um, uh, buy enough or couldn't buy enough. So you know, uh, they made a lot of jokes about toilet paper and people hoarding it. Um, the thing is, not everyone has 300 bucks or 400 bucks to buy uh, too much of supply of, product, or, of, of products. So there's a lot of social economics when it comes to nicotine addiction, including the fact that on a lower social uh, economic point of view, tends to see higher smoking rates. So as we move forward for for uh, the short term, is the shops might not be open up again until the end of May. That could be disastrous for a lot of uh, small businesses. Uh, depending on what um, even what the federal government is able to do with um, you know leases and uh, and for those who can't uh, pay their rent because their businesses have been shut down
0: and that's definitely you know what part of my next question here uh, well actually it's gonna be our rounding up question let's talk about Quebec in a second and we're gonna come back to the economic impact I just brightened up your shot as much as I could there big guy as uh nope. night as night is coming, you are getting darker, so but uh we'll try to uh, we'll try to end with uh, some bright stuff if we can. So let me ask you about Quebec. That's a real concern now, isn't it?
1: It is so the uh, right now, what the government has done is they've essentially shut down product vape shops completely. not only that. Uh, they've given exceptions to pretty much every retailer out there, including what they call tobacconists. So basically a tobacco shop. Um, the, if anyone knows about the, the regulation in, in Quebec, you can't give a customer information over the phone. Uh, you can't take an order over the phone. As well as the Quebec-based business, you can't take an order online. Also as a Quebec-based business, you can't do curbside now under these measures. So you can't talk to your customers. You can't take an order from your customer. And if, it's, if you're looking for a, a value-add type product, which uh, vaping in open systems definitely is, so now we're saying they can buy it from anywhere else. They can buy it from Ontario. They can buy it from Saskatchewan. They can buy it from New Brunswick. So we're saying go to all these markets where they don't, predominantly don't speak your language. Get the information that you need. And it's the it's it's so draconian that if you're a vape owner of a shop and you open up uh, a customer service depot in, say, Cornwall, Ontario, and you sell into Quebec to service those clients, even during this time, you're breaking the law. So they've taken the rights from the entrepreneurs, where we already have won a constitutional challenge on the importance of education. And here, they arbitrarily have taken it away. And then we put forth an injunction and followed all the processes, right? And a judge has not seen our injunction yet. And it has not been prioritized. And it's a harm reduction question. So it's not like you're going into judicial saying, listen, my business is going to go under because no one's buying flowers. It's a question to say mental health and addiction requirements of those who use my products is at risk
0: so is there anything being done in terms of fighting in quebec
1: we have to go through the judicial we have reached out to the uh, to um the premier to uh the health minister um and they will not revert the decision they're not open to the conversation which really lets us know with this particular government where we stand, coming into their attentions mm-hmm. of new regulation. Our, our our family members and our brothers and sisters in this community, in this fight in Quebec, need as much support from us as they can possibly get.
0: You're cutting out there a little bit. You have been during the broadcast. It's not been... Too bad. Hopefully, it gets a little bit better as we're finishing up here. Um, we do have a few more questions that I want to get to. Um, before we do that, I'm just going to make uh, that little pitch that we always need to do here at RegWatch. And of course, um, oh, not you. There we go. You're off camera there for a second, my friend. <clears throat> so, obviously, everybody has been hit really hard. There is definitely, though, uh, some people that have come out to help Regwatch. Some of you are watching right now. We are holding a um, fundraiser, which is on Facebook. So this isn't our our regular microsite. This was something new that we were doing. We wanted to uh, try out the Facebook fundraising system, and this has been our message here for April. And now we're you know April starting to really chug away here, guys. And, you know, we need your help uh, to help produce our incisive content, holding regulators and researchers and the mainstream media to account. And you know that we are definitely doing that. And uh, we're looking to raise $5,500 uh, for this month. And we've, <clears throat> excuse me, we've raised $2,100. But if you can, you know, $5 helps, $10 helps, 100 bucks helps. All that stuff really helps. And you can just find that at Regulator Watch uh, on Facebook. So facebook.com forward slash Regulator Watch. And uh, you'll be able to find us. And <clears throat> excuse me. And that is um, a great fundraiser that we're doing. It'd be a huge help if we can knock this number um, to fifty-five hundred. And of course, it spreads into um, our work in May. Just so everyone knows, we've been producing a lot of content lately. It's not all of it's been live. We've been going back to key strategic pieces that we've done red Grants, where I've kind of <laughs> gone off the, you know, off the off the wall on some key issues that we believe that are really important that vapers need to know about. And, you know, quite frankly, everything that's going on with COVID, we've predicted this kind of stuff happening. There's no surprise that public health would institute some kind of massive totalitarian power grab. It's just been right there for four years with vaping. So if you're a vapor, you should be recognizing everything that's happening under COVID as an extension of what was happening to vaping. So we've been, we're fighting that. We're fighting the big fight and we need your help. If you maybe disagree a little bit on where we attach, the, uh, attach some of the blame, fair enough. But you can't deny the similarities are just too large to ignore. So definitely if you get a chance, uh, please do that. You can also go to support.regulatorwatch.com and give us a hand there too as well. We're producing more. And we actually have help. We've got some producing help that has now come on board that are uh, getting up to speed. Some of the impact has already been happening on our show. Um, Now that's volunteer. We're going to be turning that into paid. And we're going to be looking for an editor too as well. And so we're growing during COVID. So we need your help. So that's the big pitch, Daryl. So... Talk to me about the economic impact that the vaping industry faces in Canada. Is this something that vaping can survive?
1: I think that this is something that vaping can survive. I think that if we use this platform that we've talked about, where people are now paying attention to public health, we need to switch that or flip that, that, uh, that script back on them and use the words that have been used by many politicians over the past four weeks in their own statements. We wrote a uh, letter to uh, Premier Ford outlining the importance of vaping and, and vape product sh- uh, shops and what we what they mean to their consumers. Um, and we were able to use Mr. a lot of the words that Mr. Ford talked about specifically around, and you asked the question about the economy, um, the vaping industry is worth, uh, depending on who you believe, here in Canada, uh, between 465 and 500 million dollars in revenue. Wow, it's a big. It's becoming a big business, right? And that, um, if you look at the difference between um, the multi-billion-dollar tobacco industry, and our industry, is that the jobs that we create have a benefit to society not a cost to society so that that gets compounded as well in terms of those who aren't being able to understand the relative risk and why vaping doesn't kill people what types of products put them at risk because one of the core elements that we have is if people can't get the products from vape shops and they get them from joe up the street are we trying to recreate what happened in the u.s. You have no idea what Joe up the street put in his, his, um, uh, in his shop that, or in his, in his product. And that's, that's why we pushed the government on regulations. We didn't sit back and take their interpretations of what, we, what they wanted to do. We prescriptively put the suggestions of what we felt would have the best impact for Canadian society at general utilizing this. So we'll continue to do that. But now uh, so many government leaders have given us so much on their belief and their value system on health outcomes that we'll now be able to communicate them in a a way exactly how they said it.
0: Now, federally, you guys have recently had a meeting uh, with Health Canada, correct? We did. And And how did that go?
1: Well, so one is they definitely let us know that they're a bit delayed. Um, in terms of what's coming up next, as we discussed with going to be here later in this year. But they are very firmly committed to the regulations that they have in place uh, and specifically around youth access and online access. Their number one concern uh, that they shared with us today is still uh, access to products and getting access to uh, those products being marketed and seen by youth. Not just, you know, purchased by use, but actually seen by use. So it's important that we follow the guidelines. We continue to put out guidances. We give um, uh, very detailed descriptions uh, best as we can um, uh, to what the regulations should look like. But in no way did they leave me with the impression that um, any of this is going to be used as an excuse for us not to be compliant on, uh, on new regulations here on July 1st.
0: So your sense then is that from Health Canada's point of view, <clears throat> overall, vaping has got some security.
1: I, I, I believe so. I mean, they're, they're still very much regulating it, like they're trying to get a system right. I think what we're seeing is, um, like with alcohol and like with um, uh, cannabis and tobacco to a lesser extent, that they're going to really allow the provinces to manage distribution, I don't see any direction on distribution coming out from Health Canada. Um, What we are seeing, though, is that their expectations of us to be able to become compliant are very much on us. Mm -hmm. So that's why as a community, we have to continue to share best practices um, because we're big business in some ways. And we're still a cottage industry in others. So we're sitting in the in the field of both. So right. when you're when you're in the middle, that's when you need your friends and colleagues and and subject matter experts the most to help lift each other up.
0: Right. And just really quickly, then, as a last question here, and hopefully on a brighter note, was that the industry did jump uh, to help out with the production of hand sanitizer. Tell us about that.
1: Yes, yeah, so many of the leaders um, in our industry, Uh, said, what can I do to help? And one of the things that that, uh, many had heard is that hand sanitizer was uh, uh, hard to get especially for frontline service workers. So if you look at uh, a lot of the main players here across uh, across Canada, they retooled their uh, plants to uh, to create hand sanitizer. And I'm hearing many of them aren't even selling it, that they're giving it away Uh, to uh, frontline workers, uh, to fire departments, uh, police departments. Um, It just shows, you know, Branton, I'll end on this. One of the reasons, um, and this is, I'm going into my fifth year with the CVA. And the thing that I love the most about this job is that almost all of the entrepreneurs are ex-smokers who got a gift and wanted to give it to as many people as they could. So you can see where the heart of the industry is when the country is really hurting and supplies are going low, that they retooled their plants, you know, and, and, and built a product that many of them are actually giving away.
0: Well, that definitely shows, you know, the heart of um, the people in the vaping industry. And that's great. And hopefully that's what uh, wins over a few people overall. Daryl, I want to thank you so much for coming back on the show and providing our audience an update on what's going on in Canada.
1: Thank you so much. Keep it up. Keep up the great work, Brent.
0: Thank you, sir. Just hang tight right there. And that is it for this edition of Watch. Before you head off, please go over to support.regulatorwatch.com. That's support.regulatorwatch.com. And consider making a financial contribution to our vaping coverage. It's easy. Just dig in your wallet and find a few dollars and toss them our way. You'll be happy you did, and so will we. And while online, don't forget to like us on Facebook and to follow us on Twitter. For regulatorwatch.com, I'm Brent Stafford.